0: Chapter 20 Ninanaba Dohashkeh Yixnapa Entering the Lands of the Dangerous Rivers The crossing of the Rio Grande was traumatic for the Nabehu people. They had been told since childhood that they were to never cross the big river that served as the eastern boundary of the Nebikeya, Navajo land. But here they were by force, facing the river they were never to cross. The children were to cross first. The soldiers knew that if the children were transported across first, their task of forcing the parents to cross on the raft would be made easier. The parents would want to follow their children. Three rafts were waiting to transport the people and the wagons. The children were forcefully separated from their mothers. The children screamed, holding out their hands toward their mothers as they were forcefully loaded onto the rafts. Every time one of the rafts was hit by a swift current, the children screamed, shifting the weight on the raft and causing it to rock back and forth dangerously. The rugged white men guiding the rafts with long poles, yelled at the children, but to no avail. Helpless parents watched in horror as two children fell into the swirling water. Their heads bobbed up and down a couple times as they frantically grabbed at the roots of bushes. All of a sudden, the children disappeared, never to be seen again. The mothers hid their faces in their hands, or in their rug blankets, and cried bitter tears. Shots rang out. The people looked up. It was the soldiers letting the people know it was time for the women to be transported across. The women were unprepared for their turn to board the heavy rafts. In unison, they backed away from the sloping bank of the river, but the soldiers rushed them toward the rafts carelessly pushing them precariously close to the river's edge. The women screamed, the children screamed, and cried for their mothers from across the river. A middle-aged Nabehua woman was heard to say in a loud voice, Shatahol'ah, uh, make room for me, Shatahol'ah, uh, make room for me, she said as she elbowed her way through the crowd of women. Quietly, the women moved aside and watched the woman clumsily board the raft. The soldiers used their rifles to poke at the women who were crowded near the bank of the river. One by one, the women reluctantly slid down the bank of the river and stepped aboard the swaying rafts. The first raft was being guided across when the middle-aged woman who first boarded the raft stood up nearly capsizing the raft she screamed in a wild voice saying tepestan linda tepestan linda shichatayeskin yeigopik et hoshni shjayuneskei sheinat und eyat e these soldiers do not value life. They do not value it. They killed my daughter. I am really suffering from it. It is hurting my heart. It is better that my life ends. And with the last words, she jumped clumsily off the raft, causing the raft to rock violently. The women screamed as they clung onto each other, which only made the raft rock even more. Two women who reached out to grab the middle-aged woman's rug dress were pulled off of the raft with her. The remaining women sitting on the raft began screaming. The children on the eastern bank of the river screamed. The three women disappeared under the raft. The man guiding the raft was trying to steady the raft but the rocking movements kept the raft swaying. He yelled at his female riders, telling them to sit still, but his words drifted unheeded into the air as quickly as the swift current carried its collection of debris downstream. The raft began to rock recklessly, causing the man who was guiding the raft to lose his balance. The man lost his battle, He fell into the water. He grasped at what he could, trying to get back on the raft, but the debris carried by the swift current caught him and carried him swiftly downstream. The women on the raft began to scream. The rope that steadied the raft and guided the raft across the river was being pulled southward by the heavy raft. With no one to push the debris aside, the raft began to move more swiftly as it was pushed southward by the heavy moving debris. On the eastern side of the river, there was a short pier that jutted out from the bank of the river. A man who helped guide rafts across the river stood on the pier and saw what was happening. Not wanting the pier or himself to be pulled into the water, the man took out his knife and reached precariously out into the river, caught the taut rope that anchored the raft, and cut the rope. Once loose, the raft began racing downstream, rocking and swaying more violently. The women on the bank screamed, when they saw several women fall off of the raft. Screams could still be heard as the raft disappeared around a bend in the river. The Nabehuo people stood in disbelief. The men felt helpless. They frantically were asking one another who had been on the raft. The children were reaching out from across the river. Their mouths were open but no sound was coming out. The women cried because they mourned the death of the young girl whom the soldiers raped and killed. They cried for the desperate woman who had pushed herself off of the raft and the ones she had carried with her. They cried for all the children who had lost their mothers and when their mothers' raft raced out of sight. They cried out of fear of the unknown and the violence under which they were being forced to walk eastward into a strange country. The soldiers were arguing with the men who operated the rafts. With only two rafts left, the men did not want to lose another raft. Finally, the soldiers fired several shots into the air to get the nabeho people's attention. The fired shots only made the people more frantic. The soldiers were losing control of the people. They turned to the Nabeho leaders to ask them to help settle the people down. The leaders told the Nabeho women to get on the rafts to join their children and relatives on the other side of the river, but the women refused. The people discussed among themselves the teaching of the elders who had warned them about crossing the Rio Grande. They were told that their people would face much death and dying if they ever crossed the natural barrier. They were convinced the words of the elders were coming true. Already, many lives had been lost in crossing the river. How many more could they stand to lose? Hashkeh offered to accompany a group of women and returned for another group. Under Hashkeh leadership, the remaining women were allowed to board the rafts with their men. Having led many Nabeho families across the river on the raft, Hashkeh boarded with his Ninanaba and their youngest son Enceg Iznazba'a and her younger siblings. Hushkeh Yishnapa felt the pounding of his heart being echoed in the currents that hit their raft. The force of the currents was enough to shake a person loose. He held onto Ninanabat tightly while their son held their baby in her cradleboard as they crossed the river. Hushkehilnapa asked Ninanabot to keep her head down while he kept his eyes on their children. He held his breath as they drifted across the river. His Ninanabot seemed calm. Ninanabot looked down at the water. She greeted the water by saying, Tohjet leeni Nishle. I am a member of the Water Flows Together People. Greeting the water made Ninanabat feel a bit safer and more brave. Finally, Hashkey allowed himself to breathe shallow breaths when he saw Ninanabat's feet touch the ground on the other side. Ninanabat looked back at the water and softly said Achehat, thank you. It was Ninanabat's intention that only the water was supposed to hear her greeting and her gratitude. Hashkeh <laughs> breathed in full breaths when he saw his wife rejoin their young adopted children. Nanaba was crying and hugging her children so hard she was crushing the air out of their lungs. The children shrieked and she finally let them go. She then grabbed Hashkeh napa and hung on to him with all her strength. He returned his wife's hug and held her just as tightly as she held him. Several groups of Nabehu men were still on the western bank of the river. The men were told to begin loading their meager belongings onto the rafts, which they did unwillingly. Once on the other side, the people had to wait, for a few of the soldiers, horses, and several wagons, and Nabeho livestock to be transported across. Many of the soldiers who had forced them to walk this far turned back to return to Fort Fauntleroy, Fort Wingate. The men who interpreted for the soldiers also left with the soldiers to return to Fort Fauntleroy. As the Nabehuo people watched the soldiers and interpreter leave, a desperate sense of helplessness overcame them. The soldiers were mean and had killed some of their people and felt no remorse for the killings, but the faces of the soldiers and the interpreter were familiar. The Nabehuo people knew the soldiers. Now the people were facing strange soldiers and a strange land, and had crossed a river they were forbidden to cross. Camping on the eastern side of the Rio Grande River for two days caused homesickness to create ruts in the mind of the Nabehua people that cut deeper and deeper with each passing hour. The Nabehua people were helpless and on the wrong side of the Rio Grande River, when Ninanaba and Hashkeh looked back across the river, they could only rely on their memories for pictures of their homeland. Would they ever return to their own country? Hashkeh could sense a deep homesickness that settled upon his people. Hearts became heavy. There was no cure to be found on this side of the great river. On the morning of the third day after crossing the Rio Grande River, new soldiers ordered the people to turn north to follow the river. It was not until late that evening that the soldiers allowed the people to rest. Many square houses could be seen in the distance. The people wondered, is this the place we are being forced to walk to? Children asked anxious questions and adults repeated the questions. Heshkehill and a few Navajo men were called to a tent that was set up for the leader of the soldiers. There, the leader of the soldiers told the Navajo men they would be walking through a town of many people. The soldier told the interpreter, tell them there would be no rest for the Navajo until they have walked to the far eastern side of the town. The scanty message was received by the Nabejo men. A Mexican who spoke Spanish and very little English turned to an Indian scout who spoke Spanish and very little Navajo. With difficulty, the Indian scout told the Nabejo their fate. The Nabejo men were not allowed to ask questions, but were required to listen. Hashkeh Yilnapa understood they would be escorted through the town in small groups. The leader of the soldiers bellowed. First, the children will lead the procession. The parents will follow. With the children leading the procession, the parents will be willing to follow and be more willing to cooperate so they could see their children again but they will go in this order. The women will follow the children, the men will be escorted last, and anyone who tries to leave the procession will be shot. Fear filled the hearts of the Nabehu men who understood that their family members would be separated from one another again, just as they were when they crossed the raging river that claimed the lives of many of their Nabehu people. With the difficult task of taking the message back to their people, the men felt their footsteps become heavier. Upon hearing the plan, the women pulled their children close to them and cried. The children stared back with wild, fearful eyes. The men were afraid of what the people of the town would do to their women and children. With great anxiety, the people settled down for the night. The ground on this side of the river seemed harder, making it difficult to rest comfortably. Hashkeh Yilnaba spoke to his people, encouraging them to cooperate, especially now, because they did not know these new soldiers. They could not predict their behavior. The children and young girls were covered with mutton tallow, and dirt was thrown upon them, in preparation for their walk through the town. Ninanabat covered Sekiznazbat's face, arms and legs with the herbal concoction that caused blistering. The Nabeho men and women redistributed their bundles among themselves in case the soldiers became unexpectedly belligerent and unpredictable. As the sun began to return to its resting place in the west, the soldiers ordered the people to form small groups. Each group had several soldiers assigned to them to watch over them. That night was not for resting. The people's anxiety was their pillow as the night air slipped over them. yilnapa softly touched. Nananabot's elbow and quietly said, "Hago come here, let me take care of you. Lie down beside me. I will hold you the whole night. hopefully you will get a little rest. Nananabot moved closer to her husband. She watched the eastern horizon give birth to a big bright yellow moon whose bright glow kept her husband close but at a distance. In her husband's arms, she watched the moon turn from a bright yellow to a pale white. As it rose higher in the sky, it became smaller and settled above them. Figures were not so vivid in the night, it seemed everyone had settled into a restless sleep. Hashkeh gently closed his eyes and allowed his hands to feel the soft, smooth skin of the woman lying next to him. His soft words mirrored what his big gentle hands were feeling as he sensuously whispered into Nanabat's ear, saying, Nekagetit odiye." Do Ayo Yiljole, your skin is fragile and very soft. The cold night air swept his words up into the night sky, then sprinkled them back down on their rug blanket, which hid their exposed skin, causing their want of one another to surface, so as not to disturb the others, Napa slowly and gently Made love to his wife, as their bodies slightly rose and fell together. Ninanaba heard him murmur in her ear in a husky whisper, "Mm, big ehu, mm big ehu, mm big ehu, mm big mm, It is satisfying. It is satisfying. It is satisfying. It is satisfying." Ninanapha responded to her husband's pleasure by concentrating on her own. She met his body with the fierceness of a woman in want and begged him to hold her close, whispering into his ear, Yego Adishil zod, hold me tightly against you. In her husband's tight grip, she became oblivious to the cool pale moon above just beyond her lover's head. When her husband's breathing became even, he whispered in her ear, "Ayo, I really miss you. Ninanaba buried her head in her husband's chest to allow her mind to memorize their expression of love for one another. Hashkekhilnaba lifted their rug blanket and kissed his beautiful Ninanaba. Together they looked for the moon and noticed it had begun its downward glide toward the west. Hashkehilnapa <inaudible> turned toward Ninanaba and softly said, Eh nanda, put your clothes back on. The last words she heard him whisper that night were, Hakko, Ninishtra, come here, let me hold you. Ninanabat knew she and her husband would not feel the intimacy they had experienced that night for a long time. She knew her body would yearn for him for many nights to come. Hashkeh slept in one position the rest of the night. His right hand and arm were asleep, but he did not want to wake the sleeping woman beside him. He watched as the moon became a transparent disk in the western sky when the eastern horizon exposed its delicate white pale light. Ashkeh felt an incredible urge. He knew his youngest son felt the same urge. He should have been up before the dawn, running toward the east to greet their creator, but he was a prisoner. Having his wife in his arms resting calmed the urge he felt. Her rest was important. Tears burned in his eyes as he remembered touching her thin body, her supple skin that thinly covered her bones. She was not that thin when they had plenty to eat in the protective hills of Zithajin, Black Mesa, as a war leader and a warrior, he was used to this rugged existence. His wife and adopted children were strong, but not trained for the torture of being forced to walk long days, resting short nights and enduring hunger and loneliness. They were not trained to live the life of a Nabeho warrior. He gently hugged his wife, to wake her from her deep slumber. Slowly Ninanabat sat up and rubbed her eyes, then smiled at her husband and children. Tek Isnazba had warmed up several strips of jerky over the small fire that was providing warmth to the shivering children. The baby was still sleeping in her cradle. Ninanabat was given a strip of jerky which she ate after she thanked the Creator for the safety of her children and her husband. Seeing that his wife was fully awake and eating, Heshkeh left her side to speak to his group of people. He told them to obey the soldiers and ignore the people who lived in the square houses and told the men to keep an eye on their women and children as best as they could, even though they would be further up in the procession, he also told the young men not to allow the elders to carry heavy loads but to carry the load of the elders until they had passed the houses of the enemy. Hake raised his voice when he said, "N." Sani dot ake, dona bahi da dole lini ya, be ya daho ata. Ak etahonos in. Nilekinas, niligi belesi kaigo, de besa lahandesh ah. Datilgat, Hatainosne, Sadbe ha honinigi be achet, ha dah zip. Have sympathy for the children. Do not make it hard for them. The women and the girls were not trained to become warriors. Obey the orders. When we pass and leave those houses of the town, I will butcher sheep for you. We will eat some mutton, have hope, speak words of hope to one another. Just when Hashkeh had finished speaking to his people, the rude bugle was blown again. The people were ordered to begin their procession toward the northeast. The group around Nananabat dispersed, picked up their bundles, and fell into place marching. The crying children were gathered together first, accompanied by several soldiers on horseback. The women silently cried as they watched their children being hurried off by the soldiers. The women, including Nananabahat and Tek ba, were told to follow the soldiers. Tek carried her baby sister in the cradleboard. Nananabahat knew the baby would get heavy, but allowed her daughter-in-law to carry the precious bundle. Ninanabahat, who could feel the calluses on her back told Sekiznazbat to carry the baby on her back, knowing the load of the cradle board is lighter when carried on one's back. Ninanabot looked back to see where her husband and her youngest son were. The soldiers' horses hid the men. The soldiers kept their horses moving to keep the men under control. The men were being watched by many soldiers, who were on foot and on horseback. Ninanaba caught her breath when she saw that the sick, the crippled, and the old were ordered to stay toward the back of the procession. She looked for their elders from Zithajin, Black Mesa. The older women were walking near Ninanabat and isnazba. Ninanaba breathed a sigh of relief. She looked back for the elderly men, but she could not see past the soldiers and their horses. After being hurried along the river bank, they came to the outskirts of a town. Many townspeople gathered to cheer for the soldiers and to jeer at the Nabaihua prisoners. As Rashke Yishnabah gazed into the eyes of the townspeople, he saw that the people were dressed in the same manner as his enemies, whom they used to raid, when he and his warriors went looking for stolen Nabeho children and women. The townspeople threw rocks and sand or spit at the Nabeho prisoners. Hashkeh saw the hatred in the eyes of the townspeople as they yelled at the children, the women, then raised their voices in anger, when the men began walking past. Many of his people had dirty water dumped on them as they were forced to march on the outskirts of the town of Albuquerque. The soldiers did not discourage the townspeople, and they did not hesitate to whip a Nabejo who fell out of line to retaliate. Some of the townspeople were even bold enough to grab Nabehu children and run with them toward their houses with the soldiers in pursuit. Six children were stolen that day. The soldiers were either not aware of the absence of the children or did not care. If the townspeople wanted to demonstrate their hatred for the Nabehu prisoners, all they had to do was cook some food. The smell of food cooking was painful to the Nabehu prisoners. Children cried because their stomach craved food. Mothers cried because they were hungry, and they knew their children were also hungry. The men filled their stomach with the saliva that ran freely in their mouth as a result of smelling fresh food cooking on an open stove. Their hearts ached. They knew their women and their children were also suffering from smelling fresh food being cooked over an open stove. The women cried once again when they turned to look back at the town because they mourned the loss of six children. Many Nabehua people shivered from the extreme cold, which was magnified by their clothes and blankets being soaked with dirty water thrown upon them by the townspeople. The Nabehu people were forced to continue walking in a northeastern direction around the edge of the town until late evening, long after the sun had set. The soldiers ordered the people to stop as the homes in the town began to fade over the horizon. The hungry Nabehu people eagerly stopped and began to prepare their meals Ashkeh Yilnapa felt so bad that he could not keep his promise to his people by butchering a sheep it was too dark he urged his people to comfort themselves and knowing they were past the town that housed such mean people the soldiers blew on a bugle that announced to the enemies of the area their camping site Hashkehilnapa told his youngest son to look for his mother and his siblings. Khekonapa found Munanapa. She had placed her bedding on the ground and was lying down, but she did not want to eat. After resting, Hashkehilnapa kept his word, not wanting to disappoint his people. With the help of a few men, he butchered four of his wife's sheep in the faint light of the moon. The sheep were much skinnier now, having been driven so far without allowing them to graze or drink water with content. Nevertheless, the people ate slowly because their leader told them to eat slowly so they could save some for the next day. Many of the Nabehua people had built small fires and were cooking what meager supplies they had. Napa felt sorry for them, so he shared the meat with other Nabehu leaders' people. He knew the Nabehua people felt safer. The men sang songs and told stories around a campfire. The soldiers kept their distance The soldiers were satisfied the people had relatively behaved themselves as they walked past the town. The songs and stories went well into the night as children crowded around their families more for comfort than to keep warm in the cutting cold. Hashkehil Napa returned from helping his people settle down for the night. He looked for his Ninanaba. He had a curious look on his face when he saw Ninanaba already lying down in her bedding. He counted and hugged each of his children and told them how brave they were to lead the procession earlier in the day. The children choked back sobs as they ate their food. Nenanaba's children sat next to her, leaning on her, while they ate fresh meat and cold jerky. When the night silently fully closed in on the Nabehu people, Ashkechilnapa lay down beside his beautiful Nananapa. She did not readily respond to him. Gently he reached under the thick rug his wife was covered with and felt for the side opening in his wife's rug dress. To his horror, he realized her dress was cold and damp from the water that was thrown at the people when they were walking on the outskirts of the town. Suddenly he realized why his children were sitting near their mother and leaning on her. His beautiful nananaba was shivering. Tashkeh Yilnaaba asked Tsekeh Yilnaaba. Dat namajbipil eb'ane yehegi yehitna." Did your mother change into her spare rug dress? The rug dress she is wearing is wet. Oh, I be the spare rug a she was carrying a water splashed on it. Yes, but the spare rug dress she was carrying had water splashed on it. The dress she was wearing got all wet reported Tekisnaspa a wetsha nastle." what about the baby did she get wet too asked ashkeysnaspa ndaka she shit troshik anda no i was the one who was carrying the baby they did not spill water on me Tzik Isnazba said. Hashkeh Yishnaba asked Tek Isnazba and her siblings to lie under the rug blanket that covered Ninanaba and told them to lie close to her after he removed her rug dress and covered her with his soft shirts made of deer hide. Hashkeh Yishnaba took Ninanaba's dresses and held them up to the fire for the rest of the night in hopes of drying them so she could wear the clean one the next day. He asked his youngest son to help him by pulling on the dresses so they would not shrink since the dresses were made entirely of wool. Neither of them slept that night. Clouds hid the dawn's white light when Hashkeh Ba finally lay down near his Ninanaba After placing his children on their bedding, he had warmed up an herbal drink for Nananaba. Reaching in the side of his deerskin shirt, he gently stroked Nananaba's left breast, saying, Chenzi Chiaja, wake up, my little one. Nananaba stirred, remembering their moonlit night before they began their sad walk through the town. Of the mean people. Ninanabat sighed and welcomed back the beautiful sleep she was nudged out of. Worried, Ashkeh Yilnapa nudged her again. She opened her eyes, smiled at him, and asked him if he had run that morning. Ninanabat closed her eyes to welcome the vivid memories of home the memory of her husband leaving her warm bed, the sound of him slipping on his thick-soled moccasins, the dark pre-dawn eastern sky being exposed as he would lift the rug blanket covering the door, and then the sound of his deep, sensuous voice bellowing out a greeting to the Creator just outside the door. He would be gone until just before the eastern sky delivered the faint white light of dawn. When her husband returned to their Hogan, he would enter, then gently pick up his still-sleeping children one by one and stand them up, steadying them as they wobbled from sleepiness. Then he would lead them outside. Once outside the entryway, he would face them toward the east. When his loud warrior cry tore through the calm dawn air, his children would jolt forward and run eastward, shouting greetings to the Creator. Re entering the Hogan Hogan, Hashkehil would hold out a hand for Ninanaba, lift her up, hand her the wide soft band. ...of buckskin which she tightly wrapped around her breasts and waist. Then they would run, following the footsteps of their children. Nananaba wanted to stay with her memories, but her husband kept nudging her. She wanted him to touch her awake, the way he used to when their children left their run to run. Part of her memory was becoming real when she felt Hashkeh Yilnabba's strong hands reach under her and lift her up. As he sat her down on a bundle of their belongings, Ninanabat felt weak and dizzy. Her son and adopted children stood around her with worried looks in their faces. She smiled at them, recalling her sweet memories of home. Ninanabat was shivering, so she was lowered down onto several layers of rug blankets. Hashkeh Yilnapa exercised his back, then laid down in the dirt to rest while Tek Isnazbat built a small fire to warm up a few pieces of jerky. They had watched many of their people get sick and die after eating the soldiers' food, so Ninanaba had strictly told them not to eat it. Once again her words rang in the people's ears. Their youngest son, Egonapa, took a clay pot that was covered with dry pitch and began walking toward the makeshift corral where the goats and sheep were kept. There he found one of his mother's goats and began milking the female goat. The sweet white liquid was carried back to their campsite and boiled for Nananaba. She sat up and gulped the liquid down, then lay down again, and fell asleep again. In the faint light of dawn, the Nabehua people realized they had company. They became fearful. They had already lost six children earlier, and during the night two old women and three old men died from the cold, Fatigue, loneliness, and hunger. What the soldiers did with the bodies was unknown. The children and the elders were sorely missed. The people did not have the spirit to fight, but they held their breath and waited for their nabeho leaders to react. The soldiers barked at the intruders and kept them at a distance until the full light of day. Daylight exposed a group of Mexican women who had camped near the Nabejo people. The Mexican women were laden with meat, bread, and water. They refused to give the goods to the soldiers, insisting they hand them over to the Nabejo headmen. Behind them at quite a distance stood three wagons laden with food clothing, blankets, and supplies. Ashkeh napa was touched. He used what little Spanish he knew to thank the women. The women nodded deeply at him when he accepted their gifts by saying, Gracias, gracias. Acheha. Thank you, senora. His deep voice complimented the unfamiliar words that came from his mouth. He continued by saying, Thank you for giving us food to eat. Through an interpreter, the Mexican women told him some of the Nabehua children being driven east may be their grandchildren. The women wanted the clothing to be distributed to the women who were near naked in the cold, wearing only rug blankets to keep warm. Quickly, the food was distributed to the families, clothing was given to the women, and supplies were issued to the men to add to the bundles they carried on their back. The Nabeho women and elders wailed at the unexpected kindness. It had been a long time since they had seen kindness in people other than their own. Kashke Napa was sad, that his Ninanaba was not a witness to the kindness of the Mexican women. She had become very sick from the cold rug dress she wore when the mean people threw water on the Nabejo women and men.